Let me ask you this question. Have you ever uh, promised to do something and not deliver? You don't deliver on a promise. Like you said, hey, I'm going to do this, and it just didn't happen. You know, I, thankfully, my wife is upstairs because she's like, she'd be like, oh, yeah, we do this all the time. Uh, you know, over-promise and under-deliver, it's like the worst thing in the world you can do. It's like, do the, <laughs> it's like shoot really low, and then you'll, you'll, you'll make people blown away with all that you get done. But if you say you're going to do something and then you don't come through, it, uh, it, it looks pretty bad. But, you know, w- you know, whether, for instance, whether it's telling your kids you will do something or that you will be home by a certain time, that happens to me more than once uh, a week, I think, <laughs> where it's like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I should be there by one or I should be there by whatever. And then just don't follow through, uh, you know, whether it's saying like uh, your, your boss is say, yeah, oh, I can do that. I'll be able to have that done before the end of the day. And then it turns into like, you're like, literally it's 1159 and you're still trying to finish how to do, figure out how to do this by the end of the day. Um, oftentimes we make promises uh, with good intentions, right? I mean, we live in Atlanta, right? So like you can be like, hey, I want to be home by such and such, but... But Atlanta is going to tell you, no, you're not. <laughs> or even if you're like, trying to follow ways, it doesn't matter. Somehow, you just don't quite make it on time because of traffic or something that causes. There's a, something that pops up, right? That's, the, that's typically what happens. Something pops up. And if you're like me, you want to blame the circumstances that led to you not being able to keep your word. You know, traffic's bad. Or uh, I, was, I was given this extra assignment right at the end of the day, and I thought I'd be home by or make dinner by blah, blah, blah whatever. But whatever the excuse and the legitimacy of it, we often overpromise and underdeliver. But it is not that way with God. You see, we can't control like a lot of times in most of our circumstances, we can't control the circumstances. You know, you can try to plan ahead, you can try to have things but sometimes legitimately things kind of just get in the way of you being able to fulfill a promise. But when God promises something, uh, there's nothing that's going to stand in the way. No, not even Atlanta traffic can stand in the way of God accomplishing something that he said he would do. Um, but for us, we have excuses and legitimate ones sometimes. I mean, we can't control the traffic. Or maybe you can't control your supervisor asking you to finish a project by a certain time that wasn't on your calendar. You know, many things can stand in the way of us fulfilling a promise, but God, ultimately, he orchestrates all things to fulfill his promise. So if he says he's going to do something, he's going to orchestrate all the circumstances to fulfill that promise. Not even Satan and a legion or legions of demonic powers and evil powers can stand in the way of God delivering a promise. You know, I mean, Jesus, in the beginning, we looked at this actually in our Living Sense series. In the beginning, in, in Genesis 3, God promises. He makes a promise. I'm going to put in between the serpent and the woman and her seed and your seed. And he's like, I'm, you, you know, you're going to bruise uh, his heel, but you're going to crush the serpent. Like, and that was pointing us to the first gospel that Jesus was going to come and defeat Satan. This was a promise in the scriptures in the very beginning in Genesis 3. And then we fast forward in Genesis 12 and we get another promise from God. God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I know you don't have children, but I'm going to bless all people through your, your family. And he's going like, I don't have any kids. How can the world be blessed through me? And it was 
promising a son. And sure enough, that son came to be. And from, he says, all the people are going to be blessed through your family. What we know is that is pointing to the, the, the Savior coming through the, the lineage of Abraham. And his descendants were one day going to be the Savior of the world. You see, God makes promises and he orchestrates history to fulfill his promises. I want you to see a promise that's made in this passage of scripture. We're going to look at the whole section of, of chapter 9, 1 through 7. But look right at the end of verse 7. Look at this. It's, it's a remarkable statement. It says this, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You can take it to the bank, right? The Lord will accomplish what he promises. Nothing can stand in the way. But let me, let me, how many of you have questioned whether someone would come through on their promises? You've wondered. You're like, okay. He said, like my husband said, he was going to, usually it's that way, right? <laughs> it's like, my husband said he was going to do such and such. He was going to, you know, take the trash out. And sure enough, where's the trash? It's still sitting there on the counter, right? You know, those kind of things. But like, I mean, I mean think about it. How many have questioned, you know, like you questioned, you've wondered, like is someone really going to, even with as much passion, say, no, no, I promise, I will do this. Um, my, my son, Levi, made a promise that he couldn't keep. Uh, and it's not that big of a deal, but we were at a hockey game recently, and he was like, I promise, we're going to win this game. We were at this hockey game at the Gwinnett Arena. I don't even know what team was playing, because they were the Land Thrashers at one point. They were the Flames, and they were uh, something else. They were like doing this back, this history night for hockey or something, and so they were like, name the team. So I'm trying, is it the, th- what are they right now? The gladiators. Okay, so whoever the gladiators are. I think minor league hockey, they, they're in an arena right nearby. And we were at this game, and the gladiators were up one to nothing. They scored a goal early in the first period, and then they just kind of held that. They dominated shots on goal, all this stuff, and, and they're winning. And my son is, like, talking to all of us as we're watching the game. Some of us guys were at this game, and he's like, oh, I promise we're going to win this game. Because it was the clock was winding down, and it's, it's like it's basically over. And he's like, oh, we've got 100%. 100%. He says that all the time. 100%, we got this. Well, with, with about 14-ish seconds left, they scored a goal. <laughs> they scores a goal to tie it. It's one-to-one. You're like, all right, well, we just go to overtime and still win this thing. I mean, he can still keep his, his word here. Well, 14, uh, 13.8 seconds later, <laughs> they scored the game-winning goal. The other team did. Literally, with the, like 0.3 seconds left on the clock, the, ball, the, puck, that's a ball, the puck goes into the net. And Levi's like, oops. <laughs> I'm like, that's how it usually goes, right? You, especially with sports. Like, if any of you were thinking Georgia was going to win yesterday, that was a bad decision. Like, you, don't, you just don't even think it. You're like, okay, it's Alabama, it's Nick Saban. This is what's going to happen. So you can prepare your, you prepare your heart beforehand, right? <laughs> exactly. Robbie and I were struggling with that yesterday. We, even, we tried a lot to make it happen, and it just wouldn't work. We started cheering for Alabama in hopes it would, like, double jinx or something, you know, <laughs> play the double jinx thing. But, you know, we make promises, or we can think we know how something's going to go, but we have no control over certain, certain things. I mean, yes, we can control what we can control, but sometimes... Things get in the way, but with God, nothing gets in the way. And when he says, and notice, I love the passion of that. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do that. The, the, the Hebrew of that word zeal is a picture of, of a red-faced person. That, that emotion that comes and it reveals itself in your face where you're like, I'm going to do this. Or that like you're, you're blushing or something like that. Or when you get really hot with anger. It's not saying that God's angry, but it's like this passion behind of I'm going to accomplish this have you ever been around someone who's that has that mentality 
You're like, get out of the way because they're coming through because I'm going to make this happen. Think of that this way. God says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The question is, is what is this that he's going to accomplish? And that's what we're going to look at in this passage here in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at really three promises that we see. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing when it comes to this promise. Uh, and I think this is, a, this is a big application point for relationships. I think this is an application point for all of life is um, most of our frustrations and disappointments and even sin uh, can come from unmet expectations, right? Like you expect something to go a certain way. Like my wife thinks, you know, Eric is going to do a certain thing a certain way. And when Eric does not do a certain thing the way she thought I was going to do it, she's disappointed. She's frustrated. Or you, you think, oh, man, like uh, uh, females especially probably, uh, you have like this date in mind, like you're going to have a date night this week. And you have this picture of what that date night is going to look like. And when husband doesn't treat it the way you thought it was going to be treated. There's this disappointment. There's frustration, right? That's why, we, that's why in my heart, I protect my heart by having low expectations. Uh, to protect my heart with anything in life, it's like, all right, low expectations. If things go great, it's amazing. That's what I was saying about the Georgia thing. It's like low expectations. Um, and, so, and so it's like set. And then when, you're, when it happens, it's amazing. But really in marriage, and, and that, there's a book. Uh, I mentioned Paul David Tripp not too long ago. Um, he's written a lot on marriage and everything. And one that uh, he wrote is, What Did You, what did you Expect? Uh, it's a great book. And, but it really talks about a lot of that unmet expectations of you expect one thing and the other happens. Well, see, that's what we're going to see, too, with the people of Israel. Israel have an expectation, right? They've heard of this promise, Genesis 3. Uh, with Abraham in Genesis 12. They see it in the Davidic covenant, the promise of the line of David. And they see this Messiah and they have this picture of an expectation of what this is going to look like. And what we find out in the New Testament is that was an unmet expectation. And Jesus didn't look like they thought the Messiah was going to look. And the Savior didn't seem like a Savior to them. The Savior was going to die on a cross and that was not what they at all expected. Um, there's a, a story I just read at the end of Luke. Uh, it's a great story in, in the end of Luke. It's one of my favorite uh, resurrection stories. These two disciples are walking down the road, and um, they have, it's Cleopas is one of them. We don't know the other name. They're just walking, and they're dejected. Christ has died. They're walking down the road. They're dejected. Jesus magically, like, appears in there. He starts walking with them, and they don't even recognize it's Jesus. And, and, and he's like, hey, like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> And this guy looks at him, the guy looks at Jesus and he's like, what, like, did you, are you the only person of all of Israel who doesn't know what just happened? And Jesus is like, what things? <laughs> it's so funny. And, and so here he is, the risen Lord in front of them. But what they, what they say, and they're talking to Jesus, they said, we had hoped. You see, all of their hope was in this certain savior, a certain Messiah. And he was going to come in a certain way. And then when he didn't show up that way, they were devastated. And that's where that unmet expectation can lead to so many disappointments. But here what we see are three promises uh, that this Savior is going to accomplish and he will do. And I want us to look at these. I want us to first read this past scripture. It's uh, um, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. I'm going to read the whole section here of 1 through 7 uh, and then we'll look at the different uh, subsections here. It says this, but there will be gloom, no gloom, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, so like, who's the her? Her is Israel. This is God's people. 
Um, this is, they're in gloom. There's going to be a dark period. This is the prophecy of Isaiah that the Assyrians are going to ransack Israel and Judah and the two, the northern and southern kingdoms. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be, again, uh, like they did under the Babylonian exile. They're going to experience similar uh, in the Assyrian uh, destruction. And there's going to be this gloom. But here he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You probably know this verse, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Here's the zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we see these promises right here in these just few verses of this Savior so if we were to go back, even in verse, we'll look at that in a second, but, but first, the first point there you have, the first promise that we see is this Savior will bring light to a dark world. So the Savior will bring light to a dark world. We see this in verse 1 and 2. Look at them again. Well, actually, even before we look at those two verses, if you go back, this is another um, prophecy. Go back, look at your Bible. Just turn it back like a page or two to Isaiah 7 verse 14. 7 verse 7 verse 14 you probably have heard this before verse 14 therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name emmanuel you see he, he's pointing to a time where Jesus, where a child is going to be born and in this child when he's born it's he's ushering in this these things these the the and for this one it's the savior will bring light to a dark world. You know, Isaiah is pleading with his hearers, listen, I know you're about, listen, you're about to experience real oppression. You're about to experience real pain and it's gonna look dark and it's gonna look bleak and there's not gonna look like much hope is out there. Trust me, a child is gonna be born and everything will be, every wrong will be righted. All will be made new one day. When he comes, he's coming as this savior of the world and he's gonna bring light to a dark world. I mean, Think about this. Look back at 8, verse 19. Go back in chapter 8, verse 19. It says this, And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, and chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Do you see these people, they under Ahab the king, and you probably have heard of Ahab, like this, this king of Israel became evil and dark, and what happened is Israel fell away, and they started to wander off, uh, and get away from their one true God. They had lost their first love. They had left him. And they started, even to a point of here, they're inquiring on mediums and spiritism to 
communicate with the dead and to try to, and they were in this dark place. It tells us, look at verse 22 of chapter 8. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. See, the darkness is a great description for these people. They were, and their hearts were darkened. Their hearts were hardened to God. They were far from God. And darkness was really the description. That's the, we see light and darkness in scripture as a picture of, of human, the human heart condition. We see that people are far from God. They're living in darkness. And here, he's like, this darkness is, is, is real and it's strong. But look what he says in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 1. Look at these two again. We're going to see what we see. And the Savior will bring light to the dark world. Verse 1, but there will be no gloom. So here, right in verse 22, there's lots of gloom. There's dark clouds. There's evil. There's darkness. But verse 1, he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. What is he saying here? These two nations, Naft- or these two areas, Naphtali and Zebulun, and the, 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 the area and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. <clears throat> See, this is northern, and in this area, so when the Assyrians are going to come, they're going to come in from the north, and they're going to come in, and their first place they're going to attack, the first place they're going to ransack and destroy is going to be the area of Galilee. They're going to experience this darkness. They're going to experience the pain, the suffering, the oppression. They're going to experience this first, but he says, guess what? Here's a promise. The promise is the, the, the Savior will bring light to this dark area. He's going to bring light to Galilee. Well, think about it. Where's Jesus? What does Jesus do the bulk of his ministry? Where is the first miracle performed? The turning of water into wine at the wedding, the wedding at Canaan. You know, the first place that's going to experience this light invading the darkness is going to be these areas in Galilee. They're the first ones to experience and get to see the glory of Christ, the Son of God. They're going to be the ones who experience this. And here's what he says in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so now that light is shining on them. We looked at this also several, several weeks back, probably all over a month ago. In John chapter 1, in verse, uh, verse 4, we see that in Christ, here's what he says. Here's the description of Christ from John. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it because this is the light of the world. He comes, and the, listen, is dark, and the spiritism and the evil. Listen, we look at our world today, and you go, man, it is dark. We see the evil. We see oppression. We see brokenness. We see disease. We see um, uh, all sorts of evil. And we can look at it and man, man, this world is dark. It's evil. Like, is, is, is there really light in this world? Well, we know here that the promise of even John 1, 4 is that this light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. Like, it is a promise. God's saying his light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. His light shines in a dark world. And what are we? we we've talked about this for like six or seven weeks through a living scent series. We're ambassadors. We're the ones, we're torchbearers too. We bring that same light if you're a follower of Christ. We light into a dark city. We bring light to certain areas. 
We expose sin and we expose righteousness. We reveal righteousness through our righteous living. We see this promise was a reality um, when Christ came. And this was a promise that he was, I mean, promised thousands of years before. And Jesus saying, God is saying, one day the son is going to be born. He'll be born of a virgin. And he's going to invade this world. He's going to bring light to a dark world. The second promise is this. The second promise is the Savior will bring joy to the nations. The Savior will bring joy to the nations. Look at verse 3 through 5. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now you might be going like, okay, I'm I'm here in Midian. What is Midian? Who are the Midianites? I kind of remember that maybe if you've read a little bit of the Old Testament, especially the book of Judges. Well, Midian, the Midianites were oppressive people. They came in. And so when they, during the, if you read the Judges, so this would be the period of Gideon. So you've probably heard of Gideon. Um, And so when Gideon, uh, before God raised up Gideon, this judge to, to bring rescue, that's the cycle you see. If you read Judges, just a quick help for you on reading Judges, you see the people are with God, then they get far from God, God brings punishment, but he brings oppression, meaning like the Philistines or someone else destroys them. In it, in it. But actually in that, what I think is so neat is that's actually grace, because what that pain and suffering was doing and that oppression was doing is it, it was waking them up. And man, we need to repent. And so they would repent. God would use the judge to free them from their oppression and they would experience blessing. And then they would get far from God. It's the cycle. You you do this cycle over and over again if you read the book of Judges. Of they're with God. They sin. They they start doing evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the key word you see in that that book. And then all of a sudden, here comes uh, enemy king and enemy uh, enemy nation. They come and they destroy them. And so here the Midianites were one of those people. They came in and they, they, the way it described the Midianites and their cattle and everything, it was like locusts on a field. Listen, they couldn't find land. They couldn't, they had to do everything in secret and they had to do everything in, in the, they were hidden in the mountains in different places because they couldn't produce crops for themselves because the Midianites came and they took over all of it. And so they were in a famine basically because of the Midianites. And they were like this evil oppressive nation. And again, God raises up Gideon. And what does Gideon do? Gideon, remember? Gideon is someone who is like, let me uh, make sure you're telling me what I need to do. Can you, I'll put this fleece out here. You probably heard that children's story maybe. Uh, it's not a children's story, but it's one we tell kids all the time. Um, you know, like he lays the fleece, put water, make, make, make it wet underneath and dry on top, or, you know, or make the ground wet and then that not be, that be uh, dry, all those kind of things to know that God is really calling him. God's like, I'm calling you, trust me. <laughs> and so he raises up Gideon. And so Gideon, what does he do? He has this massive army of about 30,000 people. And they're going to, they're going to, we're going to take back our land. And what does God say? Come mm. out. We're going to minimize that. And he slowly lowers it, lowers it to 300 people, lowers his army to 300 people, 300 men. But here's what I think is so cool about that story with Midian. Uh, is, is those 300 people, you know what they're going to do? They're not going to be like, hey, like, that's, that's like the SEAL team of our, t- our, of, our, of our army. They're like the best of the best. No, it's just there are these 300 men. And these 300 men, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a jar and you're going to take a trumpet and a torch. <laughs> a jar, trumpet, and torch. That's all you need. And they go in the middle of the night. They smash their jars. They start blowing their tump- trumpets and they start waving their torches. And every, all the Midianite army, it's in the middle of the night, they're freaking out. All, all what do they do? They turn their sword against one another. 
And why? The, that passage in, in Judges 6, chapter 6 through 8 tells us why. So that they wouldn't boast in their own abilities. And so what happens is, what happens when they get victory? I mean, when you think of the underdog getting victory, we don't, definitely don't call Alabama an underdog. I don't know why they ever were considered an underdog, as I said earlier. Uh, but when an un like when a legit underdog, not Alabama, we don't know how you put them in an underdog situation ever. Um, but when a legit underdog, I mean, like you know, you're watching March Madness, and it's like Davidson back in the day with Steph Curry, and they're just walking through some of the elite teams, and you're like, where did they come from? They have a bunch of nobodies and all this stuff. Like it's impressive. Like you would think, like with this, there's this, this tiny little army. When you come back from that, you're like ecstatic. There's joy, like you've defeated the enemy, and enemy. But you're like, well, I mean, I really, what I do? I just broke a jar, and I mean, I played. Did you hear how well I played my trumpet? I mean, I was nailing that high C. It was amazing. You know, like that guy was scared to death because I nailed that. No, you're not gonna be like, look at what I did. It's what God did, and you even see that in this passage. Look what it says. He says, you, verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. Like, their joy is in God. Their joy is in what he has brought, in what he has done. And he's saying, when the Savior comes, it's going to be like that day when the 300 men defeated Midian. It's going to be like the celebration of, I mean, think about it. If you've been in that kind of oppression, which pretty confident none of you've experienced. Um, but like you're in that kind of impression where you like can't go outside or you might get shot with an arrow or something or you go try to like find a cow or find some wheat for your family or something like that and you're like getting shot at. Like probably none of us have experienced that. I mean, can you imagine being under that kind of reign and that kind of rule and it's your land, like it's yours and here comes an enemy and they take it over and you can't even hardly go outside. You have to sneak around to find food or scrap and, and steal. And can you imagine when only 300 people destroy that enemy and all of a sudden how much joy is in the streets? You're going outside, you're screaming, you're like, yes, you're so excited. But you're not like, thank you, 300 men, for what you did. You're like, they're like, no, 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 it's what God has done. The joy comes because of what God has done. This is the joy that we can experience, too, can experience when God takes us from darkness to light when he brings salvation into our hearts it comes from him and that's what isaiah is saying is he has multiplied the nation he has increased its joy and look at verse five for every boot uh, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire he's saying this is all because of god and what he has done he has brought us the victory and here he's saying he has brought us the joy that we can experience. Um, my grandmother, who is, is now with the Lord, um, walked with the Lord for, like, I think, like 80 years or something. She lived to be 96. Um, and she, when my, my grandfather passed away when I was in college, so uh, she passed away and I did her funeral, I don't know, probably four years ago or so. I think she'd be 100 this year or last year or something. Um, so she became kind of the preacher at Christmas <laughs> in our home. Um, every Christmas, because a lot of my a lot of my extended family are non-believers. Um, they might think they're believers or act like they don't really act like they're believers. That's kind of the point. And so, um, when they would come, she would always kind of take that as an opportunity to preach a little sermon to uh, the family. And every year, she would talk about joy. And she had this acrostic for joy that I mean, I'm sure someone else has used it many times. You probably even heard it too. But 
um, she would she would kind of preach this message to our family. She would say, uh, "Joy, G- put Jesus first. If you put Jesus first, you put others second, and yourself last, you'll experience joy." She was like, "If you put Jesus first, so J, Jesus first, others, O, others second, yourself last, you can experience joy." And um, I got to watch as she experienced joy, even through hardship, watching her family kind of. Uh, not walk with the Lord, but sitting, I mean, I have her Bible in my office at home, uh, this little pink um, King James, uh, uh, what's the Schofield, I think it's Schofield Bible, Um, and and I got to preach from that in her funeral as well, but I got to see her live a life of joy, even though she lost her husband um, in 2000, I think, one, um, and I think she passed away right before we got grace, I think. I think 2017 um or 2000 yeah 2000 yes 18 something like that but she experienced joy i got to watch as she she modeled joy um because she put christ first and she would serve people well she always seemed to be putting herself last um and listen here's the thing is this joy isn't manufactured you don't manufacture this joy Here's what's happening. You have increased its joy, it says in verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. They rejoice before you because of you, because of what you've done, what you have done. And so the Savior, as he brings joy to the nations, he's the one who brings it. The only reason we can experience joy is because of Christ. It's a lasting joy that only the Savior can bring. And finally, our last promise of the Savior is this. The Savior will establish an eternal kingdom. The Savior will establish an an eternal kingdom. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and right and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, this child is the final and ultimate king of all kings. He comes to save us from all failures, all our failures and sins. He comes bringing perfect justice. Notice that. He brings justice and righteousness. I think when we look at our world, we say, where is the justice? Where is the righteousness? We look at that and we're like, Where is it? But remember, see, the expectation of the Israelites was when he came, he was bringing that here and now and that his his reign was going to be kind of like he's going to overthrow the Roman government. The the Israelites are going to have their own nation again. They're going to be able to rule and reign together with this Messiah as their leader. But when he came in a different way, when he came humbly as a born of a virgin in a in a (laughs) tiny as a tiny little baby, this was going to be the king of kings. This he was coming to establish an eternal kingdom. And he comes to save us from these things. And, and here's the, the marks of his kingdom are justice and righteousness. See, he's the promised one. And listen, have you ever experienced injustice, endured suffering and difficulty? Well, let me give you confidence. You know, I may be- break my, my promises, but God controls all things and nothing can stand in the way of his promises. See, he brings a kingdom that is perfect. No sin, no injustice for the unborn or for the person who has been oppressed. He brings a peace that 
last. You know, you know there, for instance, there's times where I'm at peace. You know, like there's, there's times usually when I'm walking with the Lord and experiencing life in His presence. Um, but sadly, I drift and experience times of anxiety and fear uh, and, and feel like a failure or different things. But you see, God's kingdom brings a peace uh, that has no end. It will never end. It is established and it is a confidence. It's a promise that we can hold on to. You see, God's kingdom brings this peace that has no end. The Bible says the reason the child, in chapter 7, verse 14, this reason this child came was to pay the, ultimately he was going to pay the price. He was coming to redeem what was broken. And Isaiah was given this prophecy to say, hey, I know that you're right now experiencing oppression. You're, going to ex- you're getting ready to experience real darkness. But listen, let me give you some hope. Let me give you a promise. The Savior is going to be born one day and He's going to bring light into the darkness. He's going to bring joy from sorrow. He's going to take your sorrow and bring it to joy. And He's going to establish a kingdom that's going to have no end. Like There's not going to be another Assyrian army that's going to destroy His kingdom. There is no other nation that can destroy His kingdom. There's no other higher authority that can destroy this kingdom. It's a kingdom that will endure and peace and righteousness and justice will forever dwell in His kingdom. And so he comes to bring healing to brokenness, light to darkness. And the only way to experience this joy, to go from darkness to light, to be a part of his eternal kingdom, Scripture is very clear, is by faith, is by grace through faith in Christ alone. He is the only Savior. He's not one of many Saviors. He is the only Savior. And He's the Savior who can never, He's not going to go back on His promise. He's not, can't, he can't follow through with it. It's a sure thing. If He says, I promise you that you will be saved if you put your faith and trust in Me, then it is a surety that you can experience life forevermore in His kingdom of justice and righteousness. But it only comes by repenting of your sin, placing your trust in Christ alone following him with your life. And that's our our, our ultimate mission. That's why he leaves us here. We talked about that for weeks. He leaves us here to be that light in the dark world because he is the light of the world. We can reflect that light. Uh, One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And he describes this kingdom and king in the Chronicles of Narnia this way. I love this quote. One of my favorites from the Chronicles of Narnia. He says this, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You see, sometimes we experience darkness and we look around and we're like, man, when's spring coming? Like, when am I going to get through this hard season? Or, man, when is righteousness going to reign? Because all I just see is so much sin and filth in our culture. And you can go and question, like maybe the people of Israel were doing. And Isaiah is saying, trust me, trust me, a Savior's coming. And I promise he's going to do these things. Maybe you're in a season, you're going like, is, man, I don't know, this winter has felt really long. This darkness seems to have no end. Trust that one day Aslan, he already came, and one day he's coming back for his own. And we can trust in this because no traffic, no circumstances are going to get in the way of his promises. He always keeps his promises. And so maybe you're experiencing that, but listen, let Christ's light shine in the dark recesses of your heart. Experience joy, maybe for the first time, 
and trust that his kingdom has no end and that it will, even though you might be experiencing some injustice, some oppression, some difficulty, trust that his kingdom is full of justice and righteousness and that it is eternal. All right, so that's kind of our first focus, the promise of a savior this Christmas season. So I hope that that will encourage you and that you will trust Christ during this time. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that it is all because of Christ. It's not because of me. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of Gideon's army. It's because of you. You bring joy. You bring light into darkness. You establish your kingdom. It is all because of you. And this is why we worship you. Because it's not, it's not us. It's not about us. But yet you sent your son into our world and that we can reflect on these great truths. And we can trust in these promises because they're sure. We thank you that this prophecy was fulfilled in Christ, that he did come. Not that you're going to come, but that you did come. Come born of a virgin, come humbly, meek and mild, come as a servant. You give of your life so that we could be saved. I pray that if there's there's anyone in here, Father, that hasn't trusted you yet as their Savior, that they would. Um, that if maybe we're walking through a season of darkness and struggling and, and, and wondering, like, really, is there going to be an end? Is there any light at the end of this tunnel? Help them, God, help them to know these truths, that you are a keeper of your promises, that it is sure is done. It is finished, you declared on the cross. We thank you for the finality of your death on a cross and your defeating the enemy that day and then as you rose to new life we also get to be with you and experience your kingdom for all eternity we thank you for these promises helps to believe them and live in light of them this week this year this coming year and to the end of our lives god i pray that we'll follow you and we'll make you known and we ask this in your son's name amen